going old school today. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through the whole text we're going to be covering this morning, and then I'm going to open us up with some prayer. So uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, and I'll start off in uh, start off in verse 15. Thanks again, Nick. Verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in us body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's, Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come before you now, and we just ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to us this morning, Lord. Uh, Help us to see you as central. Uh, Help us to uh, hear your word and and just bless this time, Lord. Help me to proclaim the truths of these scriptures well for your glory, Lord. Uh, It's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, so... uh, in a nutshell, what we're essentially going to do this morning is, is we're going to kind of go verse by verse through the text, and, and then at the end I have three applications, challenges, encouragements for you, uh, and, then, and then we'll finish off. Uh, before we jump in, though, I, I want to give you a little background of uh, Colossians. Uh, it was written by Paul, obviously, and it was written to the church of the Colossians. I say that because I can't pronounce their actual pound name. I, I tried many a time and I failed, so I'm just going to say the church of the Colossians just uh, so I don't embarrass myself. <laughs> um, and so it was written to the church, and, and uh, the situation was, as Paul was in prison, he wrote this letter with his own hands, and uh, he had never actually been to this church. And so, he, uh, so the brother in Christ who had planted this church came and you know, was giving him an update about the church. You know, uh, the church is doing really well over here. It's doing really well, and uh, it's, it's going really well here. Uh, but but we, have some, we have some issues that we need you to address, Paul. We have some struggles. And um, the struggle was, and by the way, churches, right, I, I've, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people say like, you know, I've heard it said many a time where it's like the, you know, the church is really good, but it's also really bad because it's, what? it's, it's full of people, Right? And, 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 so, and, so, uh, and so the issue that was, he was addressing in this text and the reason that he used that, you know, it was a beautiful hymnic language to describe Christ it was because um, he was addressing an issue of uh, what I'll just call this morning man-centered religion. Um, the issue was is that they had 
Some people had snuck into the church, probably not like ninjas, but they had snuck into the church nonetheless, and they were beginning to uh, proclaim this idea that, um, well, I guess in essence that Jesus wasn't enough. And they didn't say that like bluntly. They just did subtle things like, well, you have to follow this rule still. These were people who were most likely Jews trying to push on the old Levitical laws on them. You probably shouldn't eat pork. You probably shouldn't braid your hair. You probably shouldn't do this. You probably shouldn't touch that. You probably shouldn't eat that. And the center of it was on your works to, to kind of like make your way up to God on your own. It was the center. So it's like man-centered religion. Another way of man-centered religion is, is people who go to church for their own good. Does that make sense? Where people go to church so they can be better people, or people go to church because it's the right thing to do, or people go to church because I've been going my whole life, so I go to church. It's what I do. That would be another case of man-centered religion, and this, this text will also address that. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's jump into the text. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. We'll stop there for a second. When he says that, he's saying what? He's saying that Christ is God in the flesh. So when we look at Jesus, we see God fully. Uh, Not only as in he, God himself, fully God walked among us, uh, but that he also, uh, when we see the ministry and life of Christ, we see the character of God uh, portrayed perfectly through Christ. An example in uh, John chapter 8, you know the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I'll just give you a quick paraphrase of it. Um, you know, so a woman was caught in the act of adultery by these Pharisees. They grab her. They throw her before Jesus. Jesus is teaching and doodling in the sand. They don't necessarily know what he was doodling. Could have been maybe a unicorn or something. We don't know. I don't think it matters at this juncture what he was doodling in the sand. And so the Pharisees throw, him before, throw the woman before Jesus. Um, I would imagine she's very scared. Because here's the thing. She knew what she did was wrong, right? That's why she's afraid. And she knows that she's going to be punished, rightly so, for what she's done. And she's probably very scared. And so the Pharisees throw her before Jesus, and they say, This woman has been caught in adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned and killed. What do you say? And Jesus looks up and says, what? It's famous, right? Everyone knows it. Let him without sin cast the first stone. And so then slowly, you know, everyone's kind of like, throws down their rock and walks away. And before you know it, it's just Jesus and this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus looks up and he says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go on and sin no more. And so when we look at this story, we see that, and just as a side, when he said, when he said that, let him without sin cast the first stone, he was that one without sin. He rightly could have cast the first stone and killed her because he was the one without sin, but yet he didn't. He did not condemn her, and eventually he takes on the condemnation she deserved. She, he takes on the, uh, the stoning that she rightly deserved on himself. And so when we look at stories like that through the Bible and through the Gospels, we see Christ as compassionate towards uh, those who are broken and caught in their sin. 
And so that, that isn't just an example of the character of God um, seen in Christ, that he is the image of God, and he, he's, he perfectly images God. Christ does. Moving on, it says um, that he is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, this can be uh, misunderstood sometimes because a lot of people will be like, well, but I thought he was God from eternity. What do you mean by firstborn? Does that mean he was created? And then that would, of course, contradict the whole rest of the passage, and that's not true. In, in Old Testament times, um, that meant that it was like a high, high status. Like if you were the firstborn among your family, you were most likely going to inherit your estate or inherit the kingdom or inherit whatever, depending on which family you were from. And so when they say that he's the firstborn among creation, it means that he is of high status, high ranking. He's of great importance, essentially. And this text will reiterate that idea over and over and over again. Uh, Next verse says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So now next this text, uh, think big picture. He's He's going, Christ is the image of God, he is God, and he is creator and sustainer of all things. He created the earth, he came up with us, he came up with everything. And then he is ruler over all authorities, past, present, future. So the politicians we're not big fans of, yeah, he's over them. Ultimately, Jesus is king, right? Amen? You could say amen, it's cool. And, and so he's ruler over all authorities, he's, he, he has dominion over everything. And all things were made through him. So, again, just reiterating the idea that he is God and that he created all things and that all things were made through his hand and through his word when he spoke it into being and for him. Uh, This can be a tough truth to grapple with. This idea that God is ultimately for himself, people have a hard time with this, and I understand why. It's a hard thing to grapple with. Um, What it means is that the underlying motive of everything that God does in creating the earth, in creating his church, in saving your soul, in dying on the cross to save your soul, his underlying motive is the glory of God. That that God's name might be renowned and known and praised and worshipped and adored. And that ultimately everything that we do is for his glory ultimately. And it's, it's, it's throughout the whole Bible it's talked about. The whole Bible pretty much just screams, for my glory, for my glory. Not my glory, but for the Lord's glory. You know what I'm saying. And uh, in one example, Psalm 23, one of the most well-known passages of our day, right? I mean, most everyone knows what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. He restores my soul for, or and leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake, yeah. Amen. And, and, and so all over the Bible is just this underlying idea that God has created all things, he is over all things, and all things were made ultimately for him. That the underlying motive of his heart when he uh, brought Jesus down to die on the bloody cross for you was ultimately for his glory. Um, next verse says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold Together. So this verse is just saying again that he holds all things in his hands and that all things were made through him. So if, if you go back to the church of the Colossians 
and, and you think about this man-centered religion that's being pushed. And then they read this letter, and right in the opening, Paul goes, no, 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 not man-centered, Christ-centered, God-centered religion. And, and so all through this, he's going, he's over all things. He's authority of everything. He, all things were made for him. He is the image of God. He is God. He is centered. And over and over again, it's reiterating this idea that he is central and not man. Next verse says, And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So, so far, we've gone through this passage, and God, or Christ, Jesus, is over all things. He is, he is the ultimate authority. He is creator and sustainer and holds all things together in his hands. All things were made for him and for his glory. And then it comes down and goes, and now he's head of the church, the body of the church. He's the head, right? And so, again, this, this idea of man-centered religion creeps in and goes, no, no, you, you have to do this. You, you, you have to act this way in, in order to be in favor with God because if you don't, then, well, God doesn't love you or whatever. Whatever the reason might be, there's, there's a bunch. And, and so now he's, he's coming in and he's going, no, 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 no. Christ is over the church. And then there's nothing, nothing good you can do to earn your way to him, right? We all know this. And that he might be preeminent. Again, preeminent essentially means that he would be uh, the big crescendo, the point, the big shebang. He's, he's, he's it, the, the capital I it. He's the point um, and central. Um, and then the next verse says this. Uh, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A lot of times people will look at this passage, uh, this particular verse, and they'll be like, so Jesus died on the cross for every person, and everyone is now saved, and we don't have to worry. Live life how you want. Have fun. Because when you die, you're going to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for everyone. I'm sorry, but that's actually not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying, and, and what happens today in our culture is a lot of times we get so focused on personal salvation, the salvation that saves us personally, that when we see passages like this, we assume, we assume personal salvation. But when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just die to reconcile us back to God, but he died to reconcile the whole world back to God. Because let's be straight, we live in a broken world, do we not? I mean, things happen without reason all the time. The good people get sick for, for no reason all the time. Disease and, and storms and floods, and we, we live in a broken world. And so when Christ died on the cross, he fixed that. He is currently fixing that, and he's going to fix it in the end when he returns. Kind of a past, present, future thing. And that's all that the cross did. So it doesn't, it doesn't just have a personal salvation for us, but it has reconciling effects on the entire universe. And the next verse says this. And you, 
who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So now, we've been going through this text, and what has been the primary focus so far? And he, and he, and he, he did, he is, he is, he is. It's him, 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 him. It's all been focused on Jesus. And now it finally gets to the and you part, and, and he's talking to us. And he's talking to the church in, of the Colossians. And, and he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And so I want you to notice a couple things. The first thing is this is past tense. Like you look at the actual sentence and it says you were once this. You were once hostile in mind to doing evil deeds. So the encouragement is if you're a believer in here today, that's a past you. I guess also the challenge is if, if you're not a believer in here today, that's your present state. That's your present state. And, but then it goes right back to Jesus, and it says, He has now reconciled, so, and you who were once this, hostile in mind, he, going back to Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. So now it comes back to the personal salvation. It comes back to the fact that when Christ died on the cross, uh, in God's eyes, we are no longer seen as hostile in mind, but we're his son and daughter. We've been adopted into the family. We've been given new hearts and new, and new minds and new life. And that even though we were hostile, and let's be straight, sometimes we're, even as believers, we're still hostile to him sometimes, are we not? can be honest. I know I am. I have my days. I'm just like, sorry. You know, like, it's our sin nature. And it's called sanctification. We're called to, to progress, not be perfect. Um, and then the next verse, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, so now, and, and now here's, here's the challenge. We have looked at Christ, and we have beholded him glorious. That's what this text has revealed, right? It is revealed that God is over all things, that he created all things, that all things are ultimately for him. It has revealed that he is head over the church, over us. We are his body. He is the head. It has revealed that he is taking us, uh, as it says actually in the beginning of Colossians, out of the kingdom of darkness into to the beloved kingdom of light or of God. That we've been transferred. And then, it, and then it exhorts us to persevere. To persevere in the faith. I, I think Christians in this day and age, especially here in the Western culture, we're too comfortable. We're too comfortable. We, we, we go to church for leisure. I'm not saying all of us. I'm just saying a majority of the time that's what's going on. We've gotten too comfortable. We're, we're called to persevere in the faith. We're, whole, we're called to stand firm in God. And, and this leads me into my three applications and challenges for you uh, to kind of help us, I guess, maybe grapple with what it looks like to stand firm in the faith, to, to, to put our hope in the gospel that has been proclaimed to us. Um, and, and I did it in three. <clears throat> excuse me. I, I did it in three R's. Make it easy for us to remember. Mostly for me, but uh, uh, three R's. Uh, the first R 
is rest. Um, <clears throat> you know, rest or comfort. I, uh, I enjoy a good pint of Ben and Jerry's half-baked ice cream. It is delicious. It's got the, the brownie chunks and the chocolate cookie dough and the vanilla swirled with chocolate. Mm, it's good. <laughs> and I can easily find my rest in that, right? It's comforting. I've had a long day at work. My feet hurt, whatever. My kids are screaming in my ears constantly. They're now in bed. It's actually quiet in the house. Open the freezer. Yum, yum, here we come. You know what I mean? It's going to be good. And I can put my rest in that. I can put my rest in that. And so the encouragement here is that we'd find our rest in, in the Lord. And I'm not saying open up the Lord and you know, eat him like ice cream or anything like that. Uh, what I mean by that is, is, is this. What do you put your identity in? Do you put your identity in your family? I'm a family man. I'm a family woman. I'm a mother. Do you put your identity in your job? I do such and such. I've been doing this my whole life. My father before me, my father before me did this and this. Is that what you put your identity in? Because what you put your identity in is what you're going to find rest in. So if we put our identity in Christ, we will find rest in Christ. And what... I guess, what's, what's the best way to explain that? If, if we're putting our rest in him and finding our comfort in him by putting our identity in him, it's, it's like it, it doesn't matter what job I do, you know? Like, I just got hired as a janitor. That's humbling work. Um, and, and I could... I could Get, you know, identify myself as, hi, my name is Jeremy, I'm a janitor. But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to put my rest in my, because, again, it's temporary, and, and, but I want to put my rest in Christ and who he is. Because, again, if we look back at the text and see him, he is, he is more than enough to put our rest in. We can nuzzle up next to him and find much comfort. And so that's my first encouragement. Put your rest in the Lord. Don't put your identity in yourself or in your things or in your job or in your family. Put your identity in Him. The second R is reverence or or respect. Reverence is essentially like a deep uh, awe or respect for someone. Um, When I was a teenager, I I worked at the old Pizza Pro. Most of you probably remember the Pizza Pro down the street, whichever direction it is down there, I think. I got my sense of direction right. Um, <clears throat> and I used to work there with my, my good friend Logan. And you know, you got most of all of you know who Logan Darlington is. And uh, that's how actually we became good friends as we started working together at this Pizza Pro. And uh, <laughs> we weren't the best workers. Um, I remember one night in particular, we were in the back playing hacky sack. And it was just the two of us in the building. And we, uh, th- there was a wall that led to, to nothing. There's like a gap in the ceiling. And he is on one side of the wall, and I was on the other side, and we're trying to, like, kick the hacky sack back and forth to each other. It was very challenging. It didn't actually work out that well for us, but it was fun. We had a good time. All the while, while we're doing that, uh, customers are coming in to order food, and there's no one there to help them. Because, we, again, we're the only people in, uh, in there at the time. I, <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble for that one. Um, the point is, if I would have had respect for him, the owner of the company, or even my manager, who I believe was my aunt. Yeah, yeah. 
If I would have had respect for her and, and respect for uh, the company as a whole, I would have been out there doing my job. But my encouragement is, and my, and my challenge is, a lot of times in the Christian faith, we like to focus on the fact that Jesus is our Savior. And amen, he is our Savior indeed. But he's also our Lord. Amen? He's, he's the Lord. He is, I mean, as this passage is revealed to us, he is king over all things and above all things. And so my challenge for you is to give him the reverence he do deserves. You know, you know, going back to the idea that, you know, he is ultimately, you know, for himself. Some people might argue and say, well, that, doesn't that make God selfish? Friends, it's not selfish if he's deserving of it. And he is indeed deserving of it. And, and so put your reverence in him. Respect him. That essentially means that, like, we do the work he calls us to do, which leads me to my third R. Uh, it's react or, or reaction. Um, what do we do with all this? We, we have gone through this text, and we have seen God as glorious, big and beyond our comprehension. We have seen him as king and authority over all things. We have seen him as the sustainer of all things. We have seen him as head of the church. We have seen him as the author of our salvation. And so, you know, we rest in that, put our identity in that. We give him the reverence he deserves and we do what he tells us to do. And this can go back to a man-centered religion very easily. And what I mean by that is, is if you... If you do the work you're called to do and your intentions are to make yourself a better person, then you miss the point. That's not why we do church. That's not why we do life. We, we do it for the glory of his name ultimately. So you want to steer away from a man-centered religion and get towards a Christ-centered religion or a Christ-centered lifestyle. And so uh, Honorable Reverend Eric has been... Uh, has been talking a lot about discipleship these last few weeks, has he not? And so my, my challenge for you is to, um, well, actually, firstly, before I mention that, let me mention this. Uh, in, go down here. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, that would be my first challenge for a reaction right there. So now... When the kids are in bed and it's quiet in the house, and I open up the freezer and pull out my pint o Ben and Jerry's half-baked ice cream, I don't have to just enjoy that. I can enjoy it to the glory of God because, you know what? He came up with that ice cream. It was his idea ultimately, and I can praise his name and thank him for that. So, so we can do all things to his glory, all things. And I could spend hours on that because it literally means all things, everything. And then the second one would be the discipleship thing that, that Eric has been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, the, the greatest commandment is um, what? If you guys can remind me real quick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, I would say that discipleship looks like for the Christian to do all things for the glory of Christ. To honor and praise his name because he is high and far above our comprehension. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, essentially, that's what discipleship is. 
I, I love this church because you guys take care of each other. You guys have taken care of me for many years, and I was a pain. I'll be straight. I know it. It's cool. Brooke and Renee put up with me for a long time, and I praise the Lord for that. Uh, and so you guys, you do that well, and, and I love that. And I want to continue to encourage you to do that. But I also want to encourage you to challenge each other, spur each other on towards Christ. Have the willingness to go set someone aside and be like, what is your intention for doing this, right? And I would ask you to do the same for me because I'll be straight. More times than not, when you see me doing something good, you've seen me doing something good, you know what I'm saying? It's not for the glory and honor of God. That's something I'm working on. I'm being sanctified just like all of you. And so that's my encouragement. Disciple each other. Encourage each other. Love each other. Take care of each other. And, and let the, the, the intention be on him. Fix your eyes on him, not on yourself. Um, so, yeah, that is that. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to sing another song if we have time. Nope. Okay, I'll just close this in prayer. And uh, you guys can be on your way. Let's go before the Lord, guys. Uh, Father God, we come before you, and uh, we thank you for this time. We just ask that this word would be on our hearts today, Lord, uh, that you would challenge us and move us to react to your word, to uh, do as you call us to do. Move in us, Lord. Work in us. Help us to be uh, a people who strive for godliness and holiness and strive to love the tar out of everyone around us, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. I love you. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.